Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the One Football Podcast. Well, the Premier League is back, and to celebrate, we're launching this brand new weekend review podcast today. That means we're now going to be coming at you lucky listeners twice a week, with a Monday episode looking back at the Premier League weekend, followed by the original recipe One Football Podcast later each week. I'm Dan Burke, and joining me to pick the bones out of the weekend's action is Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hi there. So how are you both doing? Did you enjoy having the Barclays back this weekend? Yeah, it was quite nice, wasn't it? <laughs> I thought it was very um, nice, actually. I thought it was a good weekend yeah. of football, yeah. Enjoyed yeah, my entire weekend, top of the table. Well, I didn't have any stress this weekend, because <laughs> I didn't. my team didn't play, so perhaps that's why I enjoyed it, actually. And yeah, Arsenal top of the league, not even just alphabetically this time. No, alphabetical order. Um, <laughs> A little bit uh, over Leicester <laughs> after Sunday, but um, we'll take it. Indeed. Well, I suppose there's only one place to start this week's podcast. Uh, what did you both think of the new Premier League anthem? Oh, awful. <laughs> I mean, awful. I, I, I don't, it's not that I feel that strongly about it, but A, I don't really see the point, and then B, if you're going to do it, you'd think they'd at least come up with something memorable. <laughs> Did it get something stirring in your loins, Joel? No, I mean, I'm, I'm not too forced on it at all. I just don't understand why they don't have ABBA dancing queen played at all Premier League grounds before kick-off. That would be a lot better. Make that new anthem, I might start a position, to be honest. We'll see. Yeah. Roy Keane would quit his job at Sky immediately, wouldn't he? If uh, the recent story about him <laughs> being, ve- being very annoyed by the song uh, Dancing Queen is, is correct. Uh, Google that if you want to know more. Uh, anyway, the place we're really going to start this week is at Craven Cottage, where Arsenal got their season off to a flyer with a 3-0 win over newly promoted Fulham and it comes it's headed towards goal and it has gone in and it's Gabriel on his debut the Brazilian heads Arsenal into a two-goal lead Lewis you must have been pleased with Arsenal's performance in that game yeah it was um it's the first time Arsenal have won an away game by more than one goal for two years so really uh, yeah (laughs) Fulham away the 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 beginning of the Premier League season two years ago was the last time Arsenal actually um Won by by more than a goal. Yeah, it took us until the ninth the ninth of December last season to win a game by more than one goal. Um, yeah, it's all very nice, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. And I thought um, Mikel Arteta made some interesting tactical decisions in the game. I was particularly impressed with the way he used Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a kind of roaming confusion creator coming in off the left-hand side. Is that something he's done before? <laughs> you can see that he's worked with Pep Guardiola for a while, can't you? <laughs> Players sort of playing three positions at once but not really playing any of them at any given time um yeah it's a bit weird it Maitland-Niles has probably played a bit similarly um his Arsenal sort of defending in a back five and he's the left wing back with with Kieran Tierney as the centre back on that side and you see it in the in the FA Cup final as well when Maitland-Niles would sort of Fabian Delph under Guardiola style tuck into centre midfield and and what was a back five kind of becomes a back four with Tierney then as the left back um it surprised me a bit that Fulham seemed to have absolutely no idea what was going on um Maitland-Niles would sort of make his run and inside and Aubameyang would pull out to the to the left and the entire Fulham back four just seemed to follow them and leave enormous spaces for Arsenal to try and play into um but yeah I don't think Maitland-Niles had a had a like a particularly great game, but I think it speaks to to why there's interest in him and why he's got into the the England squad now. Just such an intelligent player that he can carry out two or three roles at once and not look exposed or stretched. Yeah, I, well, I thought he, he he created a bit of confusion for the first goal, didn't he? Um, I mean, I, I don't think you can say that Arteta's gone full Guardiola until he plays a midfielder at centre-back. So once that happens, <laughs> it's time to start worrying a little bit. Uh, but he did also have William playing in the kind of central role where he was very effective. I've never really been a huge fan of William personally, but now I'm wondering if it's because Chelsea weren't playing him in his right position the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, again, like this sort of, this this formation is that people like to say, oh, you're playing a back five or a back four. And it's sort of none of that. It's just players go where the spaces are. And Willian, yeah, I mean, was sort of playing as a right midfielder, but as you say, was just drifting so far in field at times and pretty much being the playmaker. And I think that's what Arsenal are going to need from him and expect from him this season, to be honest. Because you look at the last couple of years and 
the the creativity, especially from midfield, has been the, the huge thing that's been missing with the team. Um, so if William can can provide as many, I'm not, I don't think he'll get two assists every single week, um, or have a hand in three goals every single week. But it was definitely a promising start. Mm. I saw that Arsenal's official Twitter account tweeted after the game just the three assists for William on his debut, and I thought, hang on, the first one was a basically a shot that the keeper saved. The <laughs> second one was what was the second one? A corner. Like, all right. He's yeah, just, there was he, a corner. It's a corner, but he just put a corner into the box, really, hasn't he? It was Gabriel who did the rest. <laughs> and the third one was like a cross-field pass for Aubameyang to just, you know, he did the rest then, didn't he, really? He, it was yeah. his his brilliance that got that goal. So, Joel, do you think this is the clearest sign yet that the this obsession with assists has gone a bit too far? Yeah, I think so, based on the fantasy Premier League game, isn't it? <laughs> it is, so, it is. All about the points. I mean, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Williams' first assist didn't go down as his assist, so I'm not having that now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, no. I mean, I guess it is interesting, and it, you know, it is useful to to have a look at who's providing the assists. But it's it's also more about the fact of who's providing the assists before the assists. If you want to go back that far, and who's making those key passes. But um, no, I think what everyone, what everyone said about William was great. There, I think he, he was really effective. You know, everyone, you know, there's a bit of criticism about obviously the length of the deal that Arsenal gave him, and, and obviously that might come to fruition. Uh, those doubts, but. Until he does lose his leg, he's going to be a phenomenal footballer. I think he just proved that on uh, on Saturday for Arsenal. Mm. And uh, another guy making his Arsenal debut was Gabriel. We mentioned him there, Lewis. I'm not going to try and pronounce his second name on this podcast because <laughs> it's just going to sound terrible. So, you know, people can fill in the blanks there themselves. But how excited are you about him after that performance? Yeah, I think there's a reason he's got Gabriel on the back of his shirt as well. The <laughs> kit man probably doesn't want to try and spell that out every week. Um, yeah, it was impressive. He had a a huge screw up almost in the opening minute um, and you do sort of wonder how the rest of the game might have looked if if Fulham had gone for and scored and he was at fault for a, a minute into his Arsenal career um, but I think especially considering that he recovered really well he's obviously been signed and we've got um, David Luiz who was probably going to be expected to play next to him a lot of the time, but he wasn't there. So he didn't have anyone that could speak French or, or Portuguese next to him in defence either. Um, yeah, he's enormous, isn't he? Like a mm. huge presence. Um, and at just 22, you can definitely, I think, I mean, Fulham didn't play well, but you could see why Arsenal have decided to go and sign him. Yeah. Why didn't um, William Saliba play? Because I saw, did Arteta say that he needs a bit more time to kind of adjust? And I thought, well, yeah. he's, he's been there longer than Gabriel, hasn't he? <laughs> I, th- I think this is what we're probably going to see this season. I think there are just so few defenders at 19 that are, are playing anything like regular football or centre-backs especially. Um, Gabriel's obviously quite young himself at 22, but just maybe that little bit ahead in, in terms of maturity or... Physic, coping with the physical demands of, of professional football so I think Saliba's a, a massive talent and I think when we when we see him in the team it might that might be it he might then never be dropped because I do think he looks like a really really good player mm. um, but I think yeah the fact he wasn't even on the bench and he's just 19 and Arteta's quotes after the game I think we'll probably see Saliba more in the Europa League for at least the first half of the season whereas Gabriel looks, um, now it's going to be very difficult to get him out of the 11. Mm. But Rob Holding played well. I mean, perhaps instead of having a, a midfielder playing centre-back, you might have Rob Holding playing in the holding role at some point. Rob Holding, a, a driving run towards the box as well. Oh, yeah. Up front. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Granite Xhaka was very good as well. Um, Mohamed El Nani, are you surprised that he's been brought back in after, he, where was he on loan last season? He, he was with um, Besiktas. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was watching the game with my partner and she turned around and said to me that she just completely forgot that A, he existed, but B, that he was an <laughs> Arsenal. Like we sit, we watch almost every Arsenal game together and um, she'd completely forgotten that he was actually an Arsenal player. <laughs> so had I. I. I can't remember, obviously, being a massive Arsenal fan. I can't remember the last time that I so long into a game and then did, had no idea which number a player had. <laughs> um, it's just somebody had got the boys like, who the hell wears number 25 for us? <laughs> Um, yeah he, he played the Community Shield a few weeks ago as well when he played well there and I think it it just speaks to the issues Arsenal have in midfield really not that El Nenny's a bad player and he played well but it is obviously a massive surprise and I just think it'll be hard for Arsenal to sell him um, if he has a few more good performances maybe it won't be but for now I think the club are prioritising 
selling Lucas Torreira and Matteo Ganduzi before maybe trying to bring another midfielder in. Mm. So Elneny ends up being the the backup by default and after spending pre-season with the whole rest of the squad, whereas Danny Ceballos didn't. Um, I guess it made sense and he's sort of done enough to, to keep his place for now, I don't know. Yeah, I thought I thought he was very good, and he scored that great goal in preseason as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aubameyang also scored a great goal in this game, a trademark Aubameyang goal, you might say. That takes his tally to 55 since he joined Arsenal. It's more than any other player in the Premier League during that period. Joel, I'll come to you on this one. Is there an argument that he's actually the best striker in England? B- better than Aguero, better than Salah, better than Mane? Um, I don't know how you determine the best striker, so I'm, uh, you know I'll leave that argument to Pierre Number One on Twitter. They they'll make that case more strongly than, than <laughs> I will. Um, I think he probably does, you know deserves maybe more recognition that he that he's had during his time in England because he is an incredible striker. Um, you know it's it's not he scored more than 20, twenty plus goals every season since. So he arrived at Arsenal and since he arrived at Dortmund as well. I think the last time he didn't reach that tally was, was at Seth Etienne his last season there. So he's he talking maybe six, seven years. So he clearly, you know, as the kids will describe now, you know, a bagsman. Um, <laughs> he is that. But he, he's just, he's got that, he talked about that trademark finish. He's got that, like, you know exactly. As soon as he received that ball on Saturday, you know exactly what he's going to do. He mapped it out. He's going to cut inside on that right force and swing it into the top or bottom corner and he, as, to perfection. But I think, you know, why he deserves credit now is that, you know, for the last five, six months, he's moved on to, you know, left wing. Mm. I mean, maybe he's a bit less time than that. But So he's now doing a lot of his business on, on the left wing. You know, I know he's played there before in the past and, and he, he turned into a striker, but... He's not. He's not been in that position for a long time, and he's he's seamlessly gone back into it, and he's doing a defensive job as well. But you just know he's always going to be a threat for Arsenal, and he's 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 also you know I think he is a penalty box poacher, but at the same time he's a lot more than that. And I, you know what? I, I definitely think he is up there, the best striker of England. I think it's a fair fair question to ask. Mm, I mean, he's been doing it in a team which hasn't been you know great the past few years either. Um, well, he's been well, at exactly. Arsenal. You know. He, he, you know, he's on the golden boot. Uh, last season, the season before last, we you know shares it with Salah and Mane when mm. when Arsenal were dreadful. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of Fulham's performance in this game then, Joel? They conceded 81 goals last time they were in the Premier League. Did you see any signs that they're better equipped for Premier League football this season than last time? Uh, no. <laughs> no, it was grim, was it? It was grim. But uh, I think it does deserve to be taken the caveat that the I think the pretty Parker pretty much went out with the team that played the playoff final. I don't think there's many changes there. And obviously, the brought players in like Ariola and Kenny Tete and I, I, starting Kamara over Mitrovic was questionable, um, but I think he was trying to reward the, the lads who, who got them up and, and pretty much got them up in the playoff final. Um, there's also maybe the fact that he's not had time to train and blood these new players in because of the, the quick turnaround in pre-season and the, the time he's brought these players. There, there were signs there that they can pass the ball and they can they made a few little in, and produced a few interesting little patterns. Um, and I think that will will surprise and, and do damage to certain teams. Whether that'll be enough to keep them up, I'm not sure. It's but the question and, and it's there. It's the eighty one goals you can see the last time they were up and they've not really improved their defence since then because still putting out Tim Ream at centre half. <laughs> it's it was, it was perfectly fine for the championship, but I think he's been found out before at the Premier League and you know, I don't think it's going to get any better this time for him. But mm. no, I don't want to invite him off on one game, but it certainly wasn't a great start, was it? No. Well, Scott Parker once beat Sergio Aguero to the uh, PFA Player of the Year award, <laughs> the year that Aguero scored the goal against QPR in the last minute and all that. So miracles do happen, is what I'm, what I'm saying. <laughs> Holding that in for a while, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> It's the biggest farce in football, that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, last question on this game for you, Lewis. What did you make of the Danny Ceballos and Eddie Nketiah spat in the warm-up before the game? Is that the sort of um, thing that probably wouldn't have happened if there'd been fans present? Yeah, maybe. too embarrassed. Maybe that's, maybe that's something that we can take out of it. I mostly just think this is one of these things that probably happens at pretty much every training ground every mm. single week, but we just never see it. So it's a bit like... So it looks like a big deal... Um, but yeah, I mean, what? They're all competitive athletes. They've all got to this level of of their sport, and you don't do that without without being up for a scrap with someone, basically. But mm. also, just yeah, 
being all blood and guts and determination and it must happen all the time that somebody puts a little tackle in in training or something and someone reckons they've gone in too hard so yeah I I don't think there's anything to make of it really obviously as a as a fan it does become interesting when you suddenly see something like that just because we're not exposed to it but I also don't think there's anything to it mm. I would never have made it to the top level of football or even any level of football for that matter because I hate that sort of stuff I like yeah. a you know friendly, relaxed game of football, but as soon as people start taking it a bit too seriously, I'm out. That's that's me done. And it comes to Salah with a free striker goal. Wow, absolutely brilliant. We talk about ways to strike a football. You won't see one hit better than that. Later on Saturday, we were treated to a seven-goal thriller at Anfield as Liverpool just about overcame newly promoted Leeds United 4-3. Joel, what's the Liverpool view on this game? Were there some causes for concern there? Yeah, it Is wasn't that squeaky bum time already? <laughs> one game in. <laughs> it wasn't a cheat for me, I'll tell you that right now. But um, I think everyone... Uh, is of course looking for causes for concern uh, and and hope there are drop offs from Liverpool because you know obviously they want a bit of a title race this season so I totally get that. I'm, I'm been, I've been back and forth with, with with the game ever since. I'm still not quite sure where I really stand for it because mm. I do think the first twelve minutes until we can see the equaliser, Liverpool were brilliant and and they looked really really up for it and 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 they were playing some incredible stuff and pressing leads really well and I I thought then yeah, we, we're going to go put three or four past them and then Leeds Calvin Phillips produces that incredible pass and they, and they score a goal which I think Harrison does well but it's not great from a Liverpool point of view and then it just became a, a basketball match in it the midfield didn't exist there's no time for midfields <laughs> anymore it was just end to end incredible and I I think people are looking at Liverpool and criticising them because they're also freshening in, in the reminder of last season where Liverpool don't end the season very well um, and obviously, I, I think we could put that down to they won the league in February mm. and it was just a drop off, which is always going to happen. But then this happens and you're like, okay, is there, are there cracks there? They, you know, they're not defending as well anymore. Is, is there something there? And obviously, time will tell on that. The thing is, Liverpool got Chelsea and Arsenal next. If they go win those two games, you know, everyone's going to call them the, the title winners again, aren't they? Because they're two tough games. You know, if they crack and they drop points, then you know those questions are going to get louder and those concerns are going to get louder. But but no, I I do think there is a bit of concern with the defence to think about, um, because it is noticeable now that we conceded four at City and conceded three at Leeds and three against Chelsea in the last couple of months, and there maybe a few tweaks need to be made or maybe the concentration levels have gone down. But I think all this sort of. Mm, I don't want to write too much off about Liverpool just yet. Well, Jurgen Klopp was saying after the game that Liverpool didn't defend badly, that they were up against a very good attacking side in, in Leeds. And do you think he's got a point there, Lewis? I think, I don't think they defended well. Um, but I don't know, it's a hard one because I would also say that all of the Leeds goals were really, really good. Um, obviously, Van Dijk made the big mistake for the second goal um, from Bamford, uh, where he just sort of got, got caught napping and had that loose touch. But I don't, I don't know. It's really strange. Liverpool. It always felt like there were goals in the game for Leeds, but I would probably put it more down to how well Leeds were. They looked going forward. How how direct they were, and at the same time, you can say Liverpool's line was maybe a bit too high, and they're going to get caught out if they play like that against good sides. Um, it's definitely a strange one, I would say. Mm. Was it a bit of a cockiness from the Van Dyke there, Joel? I think was it Jamie Carragher who said it was arrogance on that uh, that second Leeds goal. Yeah, he's got every right to be arrogant. I mean, it's Virgil Van Dyke. Maybe there is something in that, but the, the thing is, he's he's been almost flawless for three seasons now, and 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 maybe it's just a concentration thing where everything that he has tried for three seasons has paid off and has come off and. And, and maybe he's forgot what it's like to be hurt. So hopefully this mistake that he made against Arsenal for, for their goal in, in the 2-1 defeat last season and this mistake for Bamford's goal on Saturday will maybe, you know, maybe he'll go home and realise that he's actually human and that he needs to maybe just up his level a bit. But 
he, play, he plays on sort of autopilot sometimes, Van, or most of the time, Van Dyke. Mm. That it, it seems offence to him sometimes. He concedes goals, and and maybe he should have been brought back down to earth a bit. Maybe there's something arrogance, but to be honest, when you've won the Champions League and Premier League last two seasons, there is going to be a bit of cockiness about the whole team, really, isn't it? Mm. I noticed at one point during the second half, it might have just been me, and it, and it wasn't the truth at all. But it looked like Andy Robertson was flagging a bit going forward, and I thought if he's tired, then you know, God help anyone else because he he's a metronome that guy isn't he but um the good news for Liverpool in that game of course is that Mo Salah has three goals to his name already he got a very very nice strike and two penalties in this game do you feel like he might be a man on a mission after he was perhaps a bit underappreciated last season yeah I think it's exactly that I think I think he's offended that he did win the golden boot last season and he's taken that very personally he's um it's a new hair as well he's, he's, had, a new, <laughs> he's had a new trim he's a new man um, honestly, he's like, he, he looked fantastic from the very first minute. It didn't look like Leeds could tackle him. Um, it was almost—I don't want to make that cliche comparison. It was also Messi-like in the way that he comes in as left foot, and no defender can get anywhere near him. Um, he was—he was brilliant, and I, I think. There are things he needs to work on because decision-makers sometimes where he shoots maybe when he should pass and then sometimes he even passes when he maybe should shoot as well. Um, he gets criticised for being greedy amongst some supporters of Liverpool. Mm. I was going to ask you about that actually because I was on holiday with a Liverpool fan a few weeks ago yeah. and he was telling me that he didn't like Salah because he's greedy and he's a Hollywood player who you know is thinking about Real Madrid and all this kind of thing. Is that is that genuinely a view shared I, by I the wish, Liverpool fans? I wish I had the luxury right, to isn't it? a player yeah. who yeah. scored 30 goals a season for my my team. <laughs> <laughs> he scored he 34 scores as he is and you, you're going to want to shoot every time you get a chance to shoot because you're probably going to score. Why give it to a lad who might not score? Um, and no, I don't think he's a Hollywood player. <laughs> you, know, you have to look at the, the way he does to track back and, and, and cut off passing lanes to prove that he, he's that. I, I think he is greedy and I, I'm, the thing is we levelled that at Daniel Sturridge when he was at Liverpool and Louis Suarez when he was at Liverpool but all these best players, all these world-class players, they are going to be greedy because they're good players and, and they think they can score. I don't really see anything wrong with it. Just sometimes when it needs to be a bit aware when you know maybe Sadio Mane or Roberto Firmino are in a better position than him, but I've got absolutely no problem with him with him, with him doing that. Mm. He scored three goals on Saturday. He, was, he scores that every, every week. He beats 16-61 goal record for Everton and... Everson have nothing else to, to sing about, so go for it, Mel. <laughs> and at least he didn't uh, do what Richarlison did for Everton on Sunday. That was a pretty uh, <laughs> greedy from him. We'll come on to them in a bit anyway. Uh, talking about Leeds for a moment, though, they you know lost the game, but plenty of positives for them, Lewis. Who impressed you in a Leeds shirt in this game? Pretty much everyone. Pretty much everyone except Robin mm. Koch, who I think is a really good <laughs> defender, but um, had a shocker of a debut. But uh, yeah, I think you can't you can't go to Anfield and give Liverpool that much of a fright without pretty much all of your players having a good day. Um, in particular, I thought Jack Harrison looked really dangerous. Mm, yeah, um, he obviously scored the the goal, but I thought pretty much more than the rest of them um, more than Helder Costa more than Patrick Bamford or Pablo Hernandez he really looked like the player that could make a difference uh, the the pass for that goal from Calvin Phillips is lovely but Harrison still had so much to do um, and he did it brilliantly and Bamford's work rate I know people talk a lot about um, about his ability in front of goal and whether or not he scores enough goals I think he scored 15 or 16 in the championship last year mm. which for the team that gets promoted or wins the league at a canter in the end and in a 46 game season it's probably not the return you're looking for but he just works so so hard um, he, pretty much all of that pressing and all of that crazy intensity that comes from from the very front of the pitch he sets the tone for all of that mm. so I think it's goals or maybe not enough of them um, even without that, I can, you can see why Bielsa seems to absolutely love him and play him no matter what. Yeah, well, he might be getting a game ahead of Rodrigo next well, week. Talk, after. talk about nightmare days. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really impressed with Jack Harrison as well. Um, he's, I don't know if you know, but he's on loan at Leeds from Man City, yep. has been for the past couple of seasons. And when I heard they were sending him back on loan this summer, I was like, just sell him. Like He's not got a future at City, surely. He's never going to be, be good enough for that level. But, you know, maybe he will be uh, next year when he when he comes back. We'll see, because that, that was a brilliant goal from him. I also love that Leeds' first goal of the season came while Bielsa was sitting on his drinks bucket with a mouthful of tea. I assume he drinks tea anyway. <laughs> It could be, could be anything really, couldn't it? But uh, 
Um, you mentioned Leeds is pressing there, Lewis. Uh, it was great for the first hour or so, but it dropped off a little bit, perhaps towards the end of the game. Joel, do you think that's going to be a problem for them as the season wears on with so many games all crammed together? That's the the, the criticism that gets levelled at, or, or the note that gets levelled at. Bielsa seems every season, isn't it, that they eventually tie themselves out when it comes to you know March, April, May, and, and you know you, you can see why because they put so much work into it early, early on and. I think it worked from that. I think there's a case for that, but I also think that the whole the whole Premier League is going to be levelled off by that this season because there are so many games and they're trying to cram 38 games into a season when they've got five weeks left to do it. Um, so I, I think that's going to, yeah, that will level off. So I think, I think you're going to see the majority, if not all, of the Premier League be so tired. And I think the level of football when it comes to, you know, after maybe January, February, I, I, I think we could be in some turgid games because because teams are going to be absolutely knackered. Now, obviously, for Man City, Liverpool, you know, Man United, you've maybe got players who can come in and, and do the job. And well, City, Liverpool, anyway, you can swap the whole eleven round and not have too much of a difference. But for everyone else, yeah, it's going to be tough. And I think I think that will will affect Leeds. But the thing is. They could have their season done by January and, and their ambitions done. They reach 40, 45 points and, and they stay up for another season. It's job done and Bielsa's happy and Leeds are happy and, and they're there. And Bielsa probably gets off, <laughs> leaves them and, and he's done his job. Well done. Yeah. Well, Leeds play Fulham at Ellen Road in their next game. Liverpool play Chelsea next Sunday. Now, this might be me putting my Tim Vall hat on very, very early in the season, but Liverpool could be six points ahead of City before City have even kicked a ball this season. Is it just me or is that a bit unfair? <laughs> is there some sort of, some wild conspiracy there, Dan, when you're acting yeah. like City haven't had the chance to play those games? Like, they will get them, don't you worry. Yeah, but people, but it's not, it's not, it, it, it does matter what the sort of order that you play games in and when they're yeah. going to be played and stuff like that, doesn't it? Like, I, I feel like they could have made the City Wolves game which will be City's first game next Monday they could have made that before the Liverpool Chelsea game so at least City will have had a, have played a game by the time Liverpool played their second game it just seems they weird they could to have me. but then what would you have complained about very true yes <laughs> <laughs> well I'll complain about this actually because I've I've spent the whole summer saying that I thought Liverpool had the nicest shirt in the Premier League and then on Saturday I saw it from behind for the first time why does it make the wearer look uh, like they're wearing it back to front it's so honestly, it looks like there's a collar on the neck right? yeah it's so stupid and the, yeah. Spurs, the Spurs one's the same it must be a, a Nike thing but yeah couldn't get my head around that <laughs> They've, they've ruined a really good shirt there, if you ask me. But Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, never mind. Mm. Well, jumping ahead to Sunday, and Everton pulled off an impressive 1-0 victory away at Spurs, their first win against a top side away from home for seven years. Mom! Dad! The season's back! I saw this described as both a big win and a massive win for the Toffees. <laughs> Dominic Calvert-Lewin described it as a statement win. Um, on Twitter, we had a question from Jonathan Radell. He simply asks, are Everton the real deal? Joel, I'll let you feel that one because I know how much you love Everton. The real deal? Yes, to be honest, they've probably won the league already. Um, <laughs> I would. I don't really see any point in Liverpool City continuing to play out their fixtures. Um, Liverpool-Everton Community Shield next season is nailed on. Um the real deal for what? I mean, I, don't, I mean, no. They deserve, they deserve praise <laughs> because, I, I, you know what, the, the problem with for you know, that record of not winning a big six team away and not being big six teams at home very often either is a mentality thing. They, they go there and, and, you know, if it does get tough, they, they car away and, and they don't actually show what they're, what they're about. They haven't done for a long time. Um, but on, on Sunday, well, yesterday, Sunday, they were brilliant. They, you know, they they started off really well. Uh, they're pressing Spurs and, and creating a fair few chances. They probably probably to win more than one 0 To be fair, mm. but it's what what I notice more often than, than anything else is that that whole second half, especially the closing stages, they they just managed the game perfectly. They were, they were brilliant, and I, that's not something I've seen in an Everton team for for a long, long time, if, if ever in, in my lifetime, where they just. They were making substitutes at the right time to kill the game. They were they were they weren't making risky passes. They didn't need to. They just kept passing out wide and bringing it back in and, and toying with Spurs. I do think Spurs were, were knackered and and you know there's something to be said about about their schedule and, and what Mourinho has been doing to prepare them. But but Everton played. You know they asked to do the job and they did the job. They, they were brilliant and 
you know what? Fair play to him. I'm looking forward to a title, uh, a title race on this side. This yeah, year. I'm looking forward to watching Everton this season. Actually, I really enjoyed watching them yesterday, and I think it could be it could be a good sign of things to come. I mean, to my mind, they've added some good players this summer to what was already a pretty good, if underperforming squad. They've got a great manager in Carlo Ancelotti. What do you think should be the minimum expectation for them this season, Lewis? I think it's weird because we've we've come out of an era, say five years ago or so, where there were. There was there were four teams. You'd go into every season, and there are four teams. And then you'd have um, an Aston Villa or a Tottenham would have a good season, and a really good season for them would mean competing for top four. But now we have six clubs like that, um, which means a really good season. You see Sheffield United last year, who finished above Arsenal, but even then, a really good season didn't even get them into Europe. So mm. it's really tricky. Dominic Calvert-Lewin spoke about being around the Champions League places and competing for Champions League football, I just, I think at least at least for now, it looks like, a to me, a step too far. But I was thinking that front three, I was watching that game yesterday. I think um, James Rodriguez, his quality is obvious um, and he looks like he's just fitted right in perfectly. I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a really, really good striker. I really like him a lot. And I think Richarlison might be the best player in the league outside of uh, outside of Liverpool City. If we maybe say you know Aubameyang as well, um, and and maybe a couple of Chelsea's new signings. Uh, Richarlison's that good. He's like to me maybe in the top ten players in the whole Premier League. I can't think of a of a non Champions League team in the Premier League having a front three that good mm. and and that exciting. And they're really good to watch. And if those three players. Are consistent and if they click and they avoid big injuries I could see Everton challenging for, for European football which if you'd have asked me a few months ago I never would have imagined that I was going to be saying yeah. that mm. and they don't have the distraction of European football this season which would probably help yeah. them I mean, yeah. Yeah. this season more than any other when, when the other teams are going to have such crazy schedules like Joel just yeah. mentioned Tottenham there obviously mm. um, yeah it's, it's going to be like three games a week for teams pretty much the entire season yeah, I agree with you on Richarlison, actually. I, you know, I think his end product is lacking a little bit at the moment, as we saw in that game yesterday. Mm. Um, but I think uh, once he gets that nailed down, he, he could be, you know, genuine, genuinely top player. Um, James created five chances in this game. I was slagging him off on the podcast last week, saying that I, I think he's going to be the flop of the season. <laughs> is he going to prove me wrong, Joel? Up the toughies. I mean, he hasn't so far, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> he? He was great yesterday. There's a little chip ball he plays into... Uh, Richarlison in, oh, yeah. in the second half which yeah. Richarlison maybe should score which is just you know only certain players can produce that kind of quality he was great yesterday you know he loved that ball where he, he comes inside and switches it to, to Denier or, um, or Richarlison on, on the left and he, he, he perfected it didn't he yeah. my, my thing with him is that he wasn't really pressed yesterday Spurs did sort of lay off him and let him do whatever he wanted Um and the test room is when he's going to come up against teams who are going to, you know, run around him and and, and, and kick him and, and you know, force him. Not, he's not going to have that much time on the ball. That, that's one we'll see whether, you know, if he can produce that kind of performance, you know, consistently in the Premier League. It, it's a very good start and, and Everton fans have got a lot to be excited about and, you know, rightly so. He's, he's done the business there, but uh, we'll see. Mm. Well, another player that perhaps would be, uh, should be excited about is Alan. Uh, Everton will link with Pierre-Emile Hoiberg this summer. He went to Spurs. Everton ended with Alan instead. Who do you think got the better deal there, Lewis? Um, well, the better deal, time will tell. I think Alan was streets ahead as the not just the, between those two, but the best midfielder on the pitch yesterday. Yeah. Um, I, I think Decore played well. I have no idea what the point of Andre Gomez is. Um, I've, I have. I it absolutely baffles me that Everton had him on loan and decided, yeah, we like this enough to actually then spend a fee and keep him. Um, but Alan, it, I think it just goes to show how much one quality player. It's obviously it's just one game, um, and and time will tell. But it goes to show that Everton performance yesterday, how one or with Decore in there, two quality players or players that add something a bit different to what you already had can just make a, a midfield look completely different to what it looked like before. Um, and again, like as long as those players, Alan, especially in the midfield, stay fit, I think Everton are going to, or could have a really, really good season. Hoiberg, I think, is fine at, at Spurs. I think he's a good signing. And I think that they needed a bit of depth in the squad and Mourinho doesn't really trust Ndombele. Um 
But to me, he is more. He's not a player that I think Everton will build that midfield around Alan now. And Hoyerberg is more of a, a player that will be there to plug gaps and can sort of fit in and play next to any other midfielder at the club, but not necessarily the player that is going to define how the team plays and set the tone for everybody else. Mm. Uh, well, pretty depressing day for Spurs. Their, their, their depression has, has kicked in a lot earlier than usual this season, even by their standards. <laughs> um, they seemed a bit un- unadventurous in this game. You know, we've all seen the footage of Jose Mourinho telling them that they're too nice in the Amazon documentary, that they need to be, you know, a bit nastier. Um, do you think that's their biggest problem, Lewis, that they're too nice? I think Jose Mourinho is their biggest problem. To be <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen that yesterday was... The forwards' fault for not pressing enough. It was the referees' fault for I'm not <laughs> entirely sure what um, for giving a foul that was a foul that then wasn't taken exactly where the foul took place. Um, yeah, I mean Joel talked there about um, about Hammers having so much space on the ball and time to to pick his passes, and we talk about how good Alan looked and. They they look that good because they were allowed to look that good. I I don't I think they're quality players, but it's a lot harder to have that sort of impact on a game if there's somebody snapping at your heels and getting in your face and and marking you and not letting you turn away so easily or have time to pick your passes. Um, and I don't think that's to do with nastiness because if you pull Ben Davis out at left back and shove him in Hammers's face, it just leaves spaces in behind him for for Richarlison or Calvert Lewin to to run into. Um, to me, it just looked like yesterday there was one team that had a plan and one team that had any sort of ambition, to be honest, and that was Everton. And mm. Spurs looked like uh, what we've what we've become very used to Jose Mourinho teams looking like over the past few years, just miserable. Mm. Yeah, well, you mentioned that he wasn't happy with the placement of the free kick for the goal. I mean, to be fair, it was six metres away from where it should have been. But to still be going on about that after the game felt like a bit of a, you know, classic Jose distraction tactic. To yeah, me. and I mean, Joel said as well earlier that Everton easily could have won this by two or three goals. It's like Spurs haven't lost yet uh, because of that yesterday. Richardson could have had one goal. He definitely should have had one goal. He could have had another one. Calvert-Lewin and, and James were both streets ahead miles miles better than than Kane or Son or Ali on the other side I just think like this was one team played well and the other team didn't and that Mm. goal just happened to be the goal that decided it um but yeah it's just diversion tactics from from Mourinho again yeah well, he took Deli Ali off at half time for tactical reasons, he explained later. And I thought Spurs were worse in the second half. I didn't think they were too bad in the first half, actually. Joel, do you think Mourinho's at a point in his career where he's sort of second guessing himself a bit too much now? And how long do you think he's going to get to make it work at Spurs? I think he reached that point in some manulators. I, I, mm. I think I'm not sure what, where it went wrong or what time it went wrong in Man United because he did win the Europa League and, and the Carabao Cup there. So he, you know, um, I think it was when he started claiming the Community Shield as part of a treble. I think that was the, <laughs> the moment it all fell apart for him. <laughs> or, or, or when he finished second a bunch of points oh, behind Man City yeah. and then called it the greatest achievement in his career. <laughs> yeah, it's just somewhere, somewhere along the line there. He's lost himself. I, I, but I, I, I actually think he's, he's walked into a job there which... Is was recipe for disaster, and I, I don't think it was ever going to be successful. I don't think it will prove to be successful because I, I think the problem was that Spurs squad. Now is that the, the motivation might have just gone. I mean, it might be zipped out of them because for three or four seasons of the under Michel Pochettino, they were the third, if not the second best team in England nearly every season. Uh, whether the league position provided that, I'm not sure, um, but. They, they were great and, and they were building for something and you know, just didn't quite get there. You know, you know, if Man City were in the league, they would have won the league, wouldn't they? But they, they, they were great and you know, but everyone was singing from the same hymn sheets. Everyone was on the on the on the right road and um, and the thing is, it didn't where it didn't work out. Obviously, the Champions League final goes the way it did. They come back, next, you know, last season and it's like I'm not sure we can go again because mm. you know. We've done this. We've built for four or five years to get to this, and it's not worked. We haven't got a trophy. We, you know, we've done well, and, and you know, we've got a new stadium, and we've progressed as players. But we haven't got the big shiny thing to, to reward ourselves at the end of it. And we've not won the league. We've not won the Champions League. We've not even won the FA Cup. And you know, you're, you're trying to push you to go back in there, and and Kane, Ali, and whoever else is like, well, why, why are we going to go again? What, what's going to happen? You know, 
we're not going to go as good as again as last season. And obviously that work, Pochino, you know, gets sacked and Spurs go off the cliff the way they do. Mourinho comes in and, and he's still got the same players to, to do that with. And I don't think he's the one to sort of revamp them and get energised again. You know, we probably see that in the Amsterdam documentary. Obviously that, that can get cut the way it does and gets mm. edited the way it does. But you're looking at the players, looking at Mourinho speaking sometimes. And I don't think I think they're all they're all thinking about what's happening for for dinner. I don't think actually I don't think they're tuned into what he's saying. I don't think he's motivating them uh, in the right way. You know, Mourinho's trying to play out like he's a nice guy now, and he's turned the leaf, and he's putting photos of Instagram of him and Son on top of uh, the Millennium uh, Dome in London, like they're all nice lads on holiday. <laughs> I, I'm not buying it. The mask will slip, and the mask has probably has slipped already. I, I just, but I, I don't think it's necessarily his fault this time. I think Spurs are just at a stage where you need a complete overhaul, which to be fair, they are trying to try start doing with transfers, but. Yeah, it's going to end in disaster. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jose. <laughs> yeah, well, more and more, I'm thinking that that Amazon documentary that he was the uh, the beneficiary of a very generous edit there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, he mentioned at the end of the game that the pressure up front was lazy against Everton, which seems to be a reference indirectly to Deli Alley. You know, when he's not parking the bus, he's throwing his players under it. Is that right, Lewis? <laughs> yeah, and it's been that way. It's been that way for years, but it used to get results. I don't know if it was, I think there used to be a, an element of seeds mentality, especially when he's at Chelsea. I think maybe some players in the past were scared of him and, and others were inspired by him. One way or another, it got performances out of people. Um, and I think it, it, it just, when you when you speak about things like that, it just starts to sound more and more like a relic of a, of a, of a time that doesn't exist anymore. And mm. I don't, like Joel's just said, I don't think it's the way to motivate players to tell them how rubbish you think they are. <laughs> um, telling Sergio Aurier in that documentary that he's terrified of how shit he is and that he's going to give a penalty away because he's stupid. Like, mate, come on. If I'm sitting there in a dressing room, obviously we've already mentioned we've not obviously had the, the talent or the mentality to become footballers at any kind of level. Um, but I definitely am, am not... I'm not motivated by anyone telling well, me that I'm rubbish at my job. It's funny the way that, the way they edited it in the Amazon documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, that bit of him slagging off Aurier um, is before the Olympiacos game in the Champions League last year when Aurier scored to make it 3-2. So they sort of frame it as if Mourinho said this thing to him and then it inspired him to go on and score the goal. And it's like, mm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> no, exactly. These two things can happen, but it doesn't mean that one of them has caused the other one. No. Which um, is way for Luke Shaw's book once he's retired oh, now I'm sure yeah. that'll reel everything yeah. <laughs> yeah I think yeah I mean well we, there was the the, get, the game that you, Luke Shaw had a really good game at United once right and, and Mourinho took credit saying that, oh yeah well when he was playing on the side that I was standing on I was telling I was his <laughs> I was his brain uh, like mate like what you think he's going to play well next week when you're talking about him like that in public it's just a, a bizarre way to try and manage people hmm. it it causes divides it creates enemies and a lack of trust I imagine in your own dressing room um and there's obviously still a lot of people as well that are motivated by it and still believe that Mourinho's one of the great minds in football. But the, that number is is dwindling and will only continue to dwindle the longer that Tottenham don't look very good. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to miss Jose when he's gone. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, I did some predictions ahead of the opening weekend and the only one I got 100% right was that Newcastle will beat West Ham 2-0. Chance for Jeff Hendrick. Controls. Hendrick has scored! Jeff Hendrick has given Newcastle United a 2-0 lead late on here at the London Stadium. Newcastle fans might have once imagined they'd be starting the season with Edison Cavani up front. Instead, they started against West Ham with big Andy Carroll, but he had a pretty decent game, didn't he, Joel? Yeah, he was great. You know what? I, I think I wrote in a in a bit of reflection on on the game on the site that he he looked, he looked a bit more like the old Andy Carroll. He was an absolute wrecking ball. Uh, he he was great. The ball just stuck to him every time they lobbed the ball up to him. It just stuck to him. And and West Ham defenders they they've they've trained with Andy Carroll. They know what he's about, but he couldn't handle it. Didn't he and smash he, someone in the face for about four seconds? Yeah, that's just what he does. Yeah, it's fine. that's just what he's about. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it worked that he had he had Callum Wilson running off him and, and doing a lot of the dog work for him, but also more importantly, giving him an outlet. So if you know. Carroll receives the ball, and most of the time Carroll plays up front by himself, and he receives the ball, and all he can really do is, is go back because 
all the other players about 10, 15 yards away from him or, you know, or on the wing. And he has to go and give the ball back and then run into the box. And it doesn't necessarily work when he's by himself. But, you know, on Saturday night, he had, he had Wilson just running off the shoulder of the last defender. And that, you know, gave West Ham defenders two, two strikers to worry about and occupy themselves with. Mm. And, and Carroll looked great for it. And, you know, you know, the question is whether he can stay fit like it is every season. But, you know, it wasn't bad from the big man. Yeah, and uh, and Newcastle's goals came both came from debutants from Callum Wilson and Jeff Hendrick. I like Jeff Hendrick's goal. It was like um, it was like a goal on FIFA. It had that sort of like backlift <laughs> the way it went into the, the roof of the net. You don't see it in real life very often. Uh, Jamal Lewis also had a really impressive debut. I think Newcastle have quietly done some quite good business this summer, haven't they, Lewis? I think they've done some all right business. Um, I don't know if it's good enough to improve the team mm. or to improve the team enough. Um, I think they sort of. I was surprised last season when you watched the way that they played that they had such a comfortable season in the end. Um, but I think the the biggest difference at the weekend was just like changing the, the they played so often last year with the back five and it was all very negative and like Joel said you bring Callum Wilson in and Andy Carroll's got someone to work with and I think the same applies to Joel Linton who they obviously mm. spent an absolute fortune mm. on last summer. Um, but the way that he played at Hoffenheim, he was never up front on his own and he was never a, a big goal scorer there. And seeing Callum Wilson buzz around Andy Carroll, I could actually imagine them getting a lot more out of Joel Linton this season um, yeah. if they play those two up front and have Wilson next to him um, when Andy Carroll does inevitably break down or just has a week where he doesn't play against a former club so it isn't very useful. Mm. <laughs> um so yeah, Liverpool, watch out. Um. <laughs> well, they've got they've got Ryan Fraser who didn't get off the bench in this game. He's not quite fit yet. Um, you know, Alan San Maximani who had a good season last year. He's probably yeah. going to be good again this year. Alran was on the bench. Exactly. Yeah, he came on, yeah, he came on and nearly scored, didn't he? So mm. I could see them having quite a good season this year. Actually, Newcastle. Uh, I can't see West Ham having a very good season now. <laughs> uh, David Moyes described it as a poor performance and overall a poor game, typically uh, upbeat from Davy there. Um, the stats, though, suggest it was quite an even game, didn't it, Joel? What, what did you make of the Hammers' performance? No one does looking forlorn more than David Moyes. <laughs> no one does it as good as him. The thousand-yard um, stare. The thousand-yard stare. It was great to see. Um, I, I think West Ham were poor. I mean... I, the thing, the plan was, or it seemed to be anyway, just by the game. The plan was to get the ball wide and, and throw it into the box for Mikel Antonio and, and uh, Thomas Suchek, which I think, to be fair, is not necessarily a bad plan because they are both good at you know scoring goals pretty much, and, and, and Suchek especially can get onto onto headers. But it just it, when that doesn't work, it can look really, really amateur and really poor. And you need to have a sort of a plan B, or you need to. You know, jizz it up a bit. You know what I mean? But jizz it up a bit. Jazz. I said jazz. I said jazz. Uh, I, thought, I, I heard jizz. I, there. I heard jizz. Uh, maybe I spoke too too fast. Cut that out, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that's, stay, that's staying in. That's staying. In. <laughs> so jazz it up a bit. But um, no, the, the thing is with West, with West Ham. Saturday was huge for them. I know it's mad to say that about the first game, but they have to win it. It was must win because the next six games were up against pretty much the top six in last season. Um, and only two of them are at home as well. I, I just, you know, I think Lewis has said this in the past as well. It's, you know, they, they could go seven games there, eight games without actually picking up a point. Mm. Uh, and it, that, that pretty much is cut adrift territory, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they weren't inspiring on Saturday, and I, the, the future looks grim for them. Yeah, well, Declan Rice didn't have a very good game. There was a not very complimentary <laughs> compilation of his passes <laughs> in that game, let's say. Um, he's been linked with a move to Chelsea this summer. Do you think that's been a distraction for him, Lewis? And are Chelsea right to be going after him? And can West Ham actually sell him... You know, politically, after the the big fallout, after selling Grady Diangana, I think they'd be mad to sell him. Um, I think they're very lucky that there are no fans in stadiums at the moment. Um, and uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how good Declan Rice is. Mm. I don't. Yeah, that doesn't mean that he's not a, a Premier League level player. But I don't know if he's a, a player that should be playing in the heart of a Premier League midfield. Or well, Chelsea want to play him centre back, don't they? Yeah, and I'm not sure if he's. I, I think maybe he's a a good West Ham midfielder or could be a very good West Ham centre-back. I don't know. Um, I don't think, to, to my mind anyway, you see the way that, that Van Dijk plays, you see the way that... Because this is what we're talking about. Chelsea has spent an outrageous amount of money. You've got to talk about them as a team that wants to compete to win the league. Mm. 
And when I watch Declan Rice, I think he's a perfectly fine defensive midfielder uh, for, a, for a good Premier League level. But if you're signing a guy who plays in midfield to play centre-back as a title challenger, you're signing a guy that plays in midfield for, for a lesser team, if you want to call them that, because he's good on the ball. Um, the same way that you see Fernandinho's maybe dropped in at centre-back for City, because he's he's not there because of his defensive ability. He's there because of the way he can play out and the difference that, that Laporte makes to Manchester City when he's fit or the difference you see when he's not fit. And the same reason that you see that um, that John Stones or Otamendi, when they've they've still played plenty of games under Guardiola, even after mistakes, because what they bring on the ball is so valuable. I don't see Declan Rice either as uh, as an outstanding defender like Van Dijk, who can sort of mask Chelsea's frailties. They they let in the most goals they've let in in a season since 1996 or seven last season. Mm. I don't think he's a, such a good outstanding one-on-one defender that he can do that. And I also don't think he's good enough or competent enough on the ball. I think he's perfectly fine, but I don't really understand Chelsea's obsession with signing him, if I'm honest. Mm, me neither, yeah. Especially for the sort of money that's being talked about. It seems pretty outrageous, doesn't it, really? Uh, anyway, on Sunday, West Brom got an unhappy welcome back to the Premier League when they were beating 3-0 by Leicester at the Hawthorns. Leicester opened the scoring with a debut goal from summer signing Timothy Castagna. Dennis Pratt left-hand side, puts the ball over, a chance of the far post, and he's headed into the net. It's a debut goal for Timothy Castagna. Do you think we might look back on that signing as one of the shrewder acquisitions of, of the summer, Joel? Yeah, I think we will, actually. Um, he is phenomenal, or has been phenomenal for Atlanta for a fair couple of seasons now. Um you know, Atlanta obviously play with their wing backs pretty much as you know attacking outlets, um, and you know he, he produced some brilliant numbers for them. You know, and and, and Brendan Rodgers, you know, something to be said about him. He does love attacking fullbacks. Uh, I, I think he's actually going to be end up being. I know he played right back on on Sunday, but I think he's going to be Chilwell's replacement eventually because mm. you know obviously Ricardo Pereira's out at the moment. I think he's back at the start of October, uh, and you imagine Pereira goes right back in at right back. Yeah. And, Castagna can move across to left back, but it's I, I think it's a, a brilliant sign to be fair for them. They, they've done really well. But Leicester are you know normally good at recruitments. You know, I you know what I think he's a better player than Ben Chilwell. I think Chelsea has spent some money there on on a player you know is good. But you know we talk about Declan Rice there being you know that standard of being a, a you know a title challenger, a title winner. Chilwell's great, but is he going to be? You know, is he as good as Andy Robertson? Is he as, you know, is he going to be as good as that? I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. Um, but I, so I think Cassan, you know, Leicester there, they've, they've sold too well for the money they have and brought Cassan in with the money to spare, and they've done a fair bit of business there. That, mm. that we will look back on that really well. Mm, Brendan Rodgers doing bits. Uh, Jamie Vardy was doing bits as well. Well, he he wrapped up the three points with two penalties. Do you think Kyle Bartley forgot we have VAR in the Premier League with that foul, Lewis? What was he thinking? It's it's difficult when you've been playing in the Championship all yeah. season and then all of a sudden you've got to keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, what can you say about it? <laughs> Ridiculous, wasn't it? Uh, what can you say about Vardy's I Can't Hear You celebration, Joel? I think I feel like that would have been funny in July. <laughs> but in September it's a bit like you know when you see a meme on Facebook that you saw on Twitter two months ago it's a bit like mm. <laughs> so someone's obviously said to him you know when, when football's coming back you know what Jamie you need to get one in here you need to make you know, a bit of a joke of the fans not being there and he just forgot to do it and, and Leicester weren't great in the last season so I don't think he felt like he could do it and he thought oh yes you know what I've scored two goals here you know, this is the perfect time I don't care if it's late to the party I'm going to do this joke <laughs> And, and, and fair play to me, you know what? It, it takes a man, it takes some man to try and wind up a crowd when there's no crowd. Yeah. Um, all the best for his future endeavours. Start a fight in an empty stadium, I think you wrote, wouldn't you? Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> apt, yeah. Uh, I think West Brom, uh, you know, probably going to be hoping there'll be three worse teams than them in the league this season. Do you think there are three worse teams than them in the league? Um, it's early days, but um, there won't be many more than the three worst teams in the league, I don't yeah. think. It is obviously early days. They played Leicester, who fell apart, fell away at the end of last season, but I think we still have to remember that they were in that top four hunt and for pretty much the entire season looked like a, a top four team, a team that we'd be watching in the Champions League this season now. So it's not a, it's not a nice way to start the season. It's a bit of a baptism of fire against a team like that. Um yeah, we've got Slavon Bilic in charge, a man who's obviously shown he's 
knows his way around the Premier League before as well. And I think there are quite a few good players there. I just I would like to see promoted teams, and, and we saw Leeds do it, and uh, and to their credit, and we saw Fulham do it to their detriment. Um, but I just thought West Brom looked a bit negative and defensive and we saw the way that Leicester played at the end of last season and the fact that there are quite a few players missing Wilfred and Didi filling in at centre-back and James Justin playing on the wrong side of the defence and I'd have liked to have seen West Brom sort of not worry about them too much mm. and try and go after them a little bit and instead they they only did that really after going behind and obviously letting the, the two penalties at the end. But yeah, like especially at the beginning of the season, this promoted teams, you, you want to see them be brave uh, yeah. and do what Leeds did and do what Fulham did. And I thought that was a bit disappointing that they didn't really go after Leicester. Yeah, you might as well just go down fighting. I think I, I saw that he played uh, three uh, central defenders, Billich, for the first time, like in his West Brom, that he's been at West Brom. He didn't yeah, exactly. At all last like why, if, it's, if you've got promoted a certain way and that's what everyone's been playing and that's what the players are used to and I'd... I'm not sure. I, I, maybe I get it if you're playing Liverpool or Man City, but I'm not sure I understand the logic of... I think you're already telling your players before they go on the pitch that I think this other team is better than you. Mm. And yeah. I don't think it's the way to stay up. Yeah. I mean, if, if the plan is to play one striker, and, and that striker being Callum Robinson, he's a, a, you know, a decent striker, but he's not He's not going to be a, a lone front man in a Premier League team and that be successful. I, I think I think they're in for a grim season. That is a plan. I, I'm not sure whether they'll bring someone back in or go and sign someone else, but I'm not sure he's going to score yeah, 10 goals and keep you up, is he? It's towards Wilfred Zaha! Perfect start for Palace! Well, I tipped Crystal Palace to start badly and Roy Hodgson to be sacked. <laughs> and I also... Uh, stole Lewis's prediction on the podcast last week about Southampton being the dark horses uh, it finished 1-0 to Palace in this game what happened Joel we can't both have been wrong surely <laughs> well yeah maybe no it's, it's it's one game to look at I've, Palace and Roy Hodgson did exactly what they do where they set up very well with with you know the two backs of four and, and the ten men behind the ball and Left men behind the ball, should I say, and just made it very hard for Southampton to do their business. Southampton are very good when you know they can press teams who have the ball deep. Palace had no interest with keeping the ball deep. Their plan was just to you know to knock it into the channels for Sahar and, and Jordan Ayew to, to do their business. And uh, Palace did well. They did, their their plan was was perfection. And and you know what the, the goal was really good. Palace mm. you know won the ball back very well. And the way they broke Townsend was great with holding on to the ball to the right moments. The cross was perfect and Sars finish was great. It was just, you know, absolutely sucker punch. It really it, it, what the proper FM self handsome. Uh, <laughs> in the way Southampton had more of the ball, more shots, everything but Palace did the business. Yeah. It was very well taken, that goal from Wilfred Zaha. Why do you think there hasn't been much uh, interest in him this summer, Lewis? Because um, he wants to go, Palace are sort of willing to get rid and he scored four Premier League goals last yeah. season. Um, well, he's got one I, I already think, now. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it, I think it's hard to score goals when you're playing for for Roy Hodgson and the way that the way that Palace usually set up and it's very negative and defensive and and dour. Um, but yeah, I think obviously there was some interest in Arsenal and Everton last summer. Um, I think it's twofold. I think it's a hard. Just he's coming off a pretty average season um, for a bad team. And on top of that, he's, what is he, 27 now, mm. turning 28 soon. And uh, and we've, we've, all these clubs are struggling for money for after the whole coronavirus situation. I think clubs have no idea when they'll be able to, to get money again. Um, you say Arsenal were, Arsenal were one of the sides that were interested last summer, one of the, the bigger clubs. And they've gone and got, they went and got Pepe after that. And then Willian this summer on a free transfer and Aubameyang staying uh, Everton have gone and signed Hammers for free. I, yeah. I think teams probably this summer, Chelsea aside, uh, are looking for value more than they have maybe in recent years in the Premier League. And I don't think 30 million, 40 million on Wilfred Sahar represents much of it. No. I, I do have some on this. I, I don't necessarily think it's all Sahar's fault, but I just don't think he's actually progressed uh, since he's been gone went back to Palace, uh, maybe even since his early days. And, and, and the thing is, it's hard, it's hard for me to say something about Roy Hodgson without sounding like criticism, and I'm not meaning it. But the, the thing is, Roy Hodgson and Crystal Palace's plan every season is to get to 40 to 45 points as quick as possible. Um, and he has a way of doing it, and there is the way that he play. Now, the thing is... with 30% so, possession they have this week. 30% yeah. possession, and get you one nils. The thing is, with Sahar, 
is I don't I don't think he's been coached properly for for years. And when I say properly, I don't think anyone's taken the time to try and get him to that next level of his game. Uh, which I, th- I think he does have. I think he has got potential. Maybe that's just gone now. But Roy Hodgson, I don't think it's the kind of coach or manager to, to sit down and, and work with Sahar over months and months on how to develop him to do a great attack and player. If he had made that move earlier on, I think we might be seeing a different Wilford Sahar. But Sahar in this form is perfect for Palace and what they want to do and what they want to achieve every season, which is every now and again, he will win a game by himself because mm. he has the talent. Um, but yeah, he's just never going to be any bigger than that. Sadly, maybe he will, maybe he'll get that move eventually, but I, I don't know if it might be a bit too late for him, sadly. <laughs> I'll tell you who else was in great form this weekend. Mr. Vinyl Whistle himself, <laughs> referee John Moss. <laughs> who downgraded a Kyle Walker-Peters red card to a yellow after consulting the pitch side monitor. Is this the first sign that VAR might be used a bit more sensibly this season? I, I think what we saw on Saturday with John Moss and, and the pitch side monitor was only a, a performance only akin to Queen at Live Aid. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think it was brilliant. Uh, to answer your question properly, I, th- I think, yeah, I think it is. I think, I don't know why they didn't use it next last season. It made no sense that the referees were being told by someone who's watched, you know, a better view than them um, about a decision. When the referee could, could go away, and when it's talking about subjective decisions like Saturday's was, the referee could easily go over to the pitch and monitor and, and have a look at it and make a decision himself. And it takes as long as what they were doing anyway, where the referee was waiting for someone else to tell him what to do. Um, I, th- I think it was great. I, you know what? A fair play to John Moss. I, I'm not sure about his ability as a referee, but it, it takes something to admit you're wrong and, and, and you know down, and change a decision. Mm. But he's it, done the right thing, and you know what? There, there's some hope for VAR at last. Yeah, and it was a great decision under pressure. See what I did there? <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a call back to the Queen thing. Yeah. Wow. You, you, you didn't have to laugh at that. Don't encourage me. That would be my. <laughs> Uh, well that's all we've got time for this week so thank you to Lewis and Joel for joining me thank you all for listening we'll be back with the usual One Football podcast later in the week and then we'll have another Premier League weekend review coming your way next Monday in the meantime if you'd like to get in touch with us you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball Do you think we might look on look back on that? Fucking hell, I'm all over the place here. <laughs> <laughs>